Welcome to the Witty Committee. I'm Claire. And I'm Courtney. And this week we are reading Book of Spells, the second prequel in Kate Bryan's private series. Before we get started, Claire, do you want to talk about what you've been reading, watching, etc. for the podcast this week? Yeah, of course. Uh, so this week I don't actually have uh, a book. Well, I have a book that I'm reading. I just don't know if I want to recommend it yet. Um, but I did get the chance to watch Tick, Tick, Boom on Thursday, and I texted Courtney about it, um, and I super enjoyed it. It was absolutely fantastic. If you're at all a musical theater person, or if you have ever been into Rent, ever, you should 100% watch it. It's so, so good, uh, and it made me feel very inadequate in my life and be like, what am I doing? Um, but like in a good way, like in a you know, I want to be doing creative, cool things. Uh, so definitely worth a watch. I did some big cry moments. It was great. Um, Courtney, what, what about you? What are you doing outside the podcast this week? Outside the podcast this week, I started reading The Invited by Jennifer McMahon, which is, I think, supposed to be a ghost story. So we'll see how that goes. Ooh, we know you love the spooky stuff. Uh, speaking of spooky stuff, what did you feel about this prequel? I thought that it was really cute at first, and then very scary, and then in the end, just abundantly confusing. Uh, I would agree. Um, I I did thoroughly enjoy it, though, so uh, let's jump right in to start talking about Book of Spells. Um, just so you guys know, there are so many characters in this book, uh, it's almost like we're starting a brand new series. There's so many characters. Yeah, I think we can really narrow it down, though. Like, I think that in terms okay. of the 11 girls in the Billings Literary Society and stuff, we can we can really quickly narrow it down. Okay, fair. Um, so our star of this series, uh, not this series, this book is Elizabeth Eliza Williams. She is from Boston. Um, she is... I guess six, 16 or 17. She's 16, she's 16 because she's one year younger than the maid at the school, Helen. Yeah. Um, and she is going to Billings for the last two years of her schooling. And she is very excited about it because her mother is an oppressive force in her life. She's this like wild child who loves to read and be outside and doesn't really, has never really paid any attention to boys before and, um, you know, she's just always loved kind of she's connected more with her dad than her mom. Um, and she's got an older sister who is kind of like the golden child who's been, you know, used to stand up for her. Not so much anymore. She's very prim and proper. She's very conventionally beautiful. And her sister went to Billings before her and then got engaged while she was there. And so that's what Eliza's mom thinks is going to happen to her. She's going to send her rough and ready child to Billings and they're going to like polish her up to get engaged. Um, Eliza has other ideas of what Billings will be like. And her sister May tries to warn her a little bit about what Billings and specifically Crenshaw House, which is, I guess, the student housing on campus is supposed like there's supposed to be something that Eliza needs to know. That we then never find out. Like before she leaves, May is like, Eliza, there's something I need to tell you about Crenshaw House. And then just we never get to find out what that is. I will, however, note that Crenshaw, if you are thinking back to the first year that Reed was at uh, Easton, is 
her Billings roommate Natasha's last name. And you will see a lot of that throughout the, this book specifically. Where like oh, so ancestors. Much. Yes, exactly. It's a lot of that. Um, it, it to the point where it it like kind of caught me off guard, and then it had me going back to the private series just to like cross reference things. But so Eliza thinks that she's gonna get to go to Billings, and it's gonna be a big library full of books. She's gonna get to stop wearing her like super. So just so you guys know, this is taking place in 1915, um, and it's a little confusing when Billings school was founded they don't do a great job of explaining that but it is 1915 in this book billings had to as a school had to have been founded within the past couple of years yeah um because helen the maid who we mentioned briefly like a couple minutes ago is a girl who had previously been an orphan when the school was an orphanage and so she like grew up on this campus and in her lifetime it has transitioned from an orphanage to a women's school. Yes. So it's it's been a relatively new establishment. Um, but Eliza thinks it's going to be this free thinking place. She is very excited to go. She gets in the train. She arrives in Easton, Connecticut. Uh, and she takes the carriage to the school back with two girls. Um, she takes this carriage back with, uh, I'm going to have to pull up names now because I read this last week and I read it in a furious dash because I was so excited about it. Um, so the two girls she she rides, I'm going to get last names because last names will be important. That's why I'm looking up to. She rides in the coach back with Alice Ainsworth, who's a sophomore or like a second year. I don't really know how school years work at, we're going to go with sophomore because that's what they say. Anyway. Alice Ainsworth, who's a sophomore, and then Catherine White, who is a junior, like Eliza. Alice is from Philadelphia. She wears lots of fancy frilly clothes. She's obsessed with boys. Um, She's obsessed with boys, but also Jesus. I just want to point that out. Very much with Jesus. A lot with Jesus. Courtney texted me and she goes, Alice is Amberly. And I can see where you would get that, just from like kind of the fawning nature that we get from her. But I think Alice is a little bit too she's i would say she's more of like hmm i'm trying to think of like like maybe a constance less an amberly more of a constance yeah but constance like wasn't in the club so she's like not true like even cool so i i thought that she was amberly for the fawning over the boys and also just she's very fainty where like she'll faint yeah. over something and tbt to the last book where amberly is going to pretend to have had a panic attack over Noel going missing and just ended up at the hospital. Totally fair there. Um, and then Catherine White is this beautiful Southern girl who wears a flirtily necklace or has a flirtily on the side of her room. I don't know if you if you noted that. Yeah. And then tied it back to the fact that, and I don't think we talked about this when we talked about um, the last Christmas prequel. Uh, but Ariana, her, one of her big things was she had a flirtily necklace from her mom that she would wear everywhere that her mother was like obsessed with. Um, so that felt like a weird tie in that we didn't learn anything else about. Um, but basically Catherine White, she's been there for years. She's a little bit more quiet, but that's really just because Alice won't stop talking and they arrive at school and the school, like, as we know from our time at Eastern Academy, abuts. Eastern Academy. So there are like boys 
on the grounds, uh, just there. And uh, Liza looks out the window and she sees this beautiful golden boy because in imagine a Nate Archibald, if you will. Literally, I was gonna say in teen novels you can have either uh, like husky looking man who looks like Snow White or golden boy, and there are no other options. Those are the, there are only two men in the world. Yeah, there there are two genders: huskies or golden children. Um, and so husky or a golden retriever. Those are the two genders. Those are the two genders. <laughs> uh, but so uh, Catherine and Eliza end up being roommates, and uh eliza daydreams about like who had previously potentially lived in their dorm because she sees like initials carved in the wall above her bed um Mm -hmm. and Catherine reveals that her best friend at the school is teresa billings of billings school billings but teresa lives on the top floor in a single room and there are 10 women per grade so i guess one room must be a triple on every floor Again, with the triples, I don't understand. (laughs) Yeah, I I think it's likely that, like, there's just... Because this was... So, they all live in Crenshaw House, like Courtney mentioned earlier. And Crenshaw House was the building that used to be the orphanage, but has since been remodeled uh, into, like, this beautiful place. But I'm I'm guessing the rooms are kind of wonky, Uh, because to me, orphanages always are like, and she describes it the outside as being kind of austere and a little scary. Um, but orphanages to me are like always like a little fantastical with like hidden rooms and stuff. I know that they're not realistically like that, but like, do you ever see a house with like a cupola and like a bay window and you're like, oh, if I was an orphan child who would smuggle books, I would sit in that window and hide from the, I don't, you definitely don't. I've never thought. daydreamed about being an orphan. No, I don't daydream about being an orphan. Not per se. Like, but you read Matilda. No. Well, she wasn't an orphan, but I don't know. I always wanted to be Matilda when I was She wasn't up. an orphan, but I thought um, she got adopted by the lesbian teacher. She did because her parents were horrendous and her dad had to go to prison. Danny DeVito was her dad. Oh, and he okay. was committing lots of tax fraud. And so you have to watch the movie. The movie's good. I've seen um, the movie. Anyway. Yeah, I just, I guess yeah. I didn't absorb. Do you remember? He's like committing fraud i remember that he was horrible i don't yeah, he's horrible i just assume that if you're able to be adopted then uh your parents must not be in the picture a la an orphan yeah i mean was to some extent. was but the anyway. teacher an orphan someone was an orphan Ye- no so the teacher was an orphan yes and her father was the one who ran the school and then her father died and then i guess her aunt came in to take care of her and her aunt was miss Trunchbull, okay, who was a horrible person. So there was an orphan. I'm not entirely misremembering the movie. You're not. Um. Anyway, that's Matilda. We're talking about Book of Spells, but basically, uh, Crenshaw. The school is kind of turning out to be not exactly what Eliza expected it to be. They have their opening ceremony thing. Well, there's there's two girls from France who I guess brought a dog to boarding school with them. There's like a bunch of random people. Um, and so they go to their first and everyone seems to be weirdly thrown off by the fact and Eliza's been trying to keep it a secret that her sister went there because she was like, I'm my own person. I don't you know, I want to be given the space to be myself. And people are kind of thrown off by the fact when they learn that she is May's younger sister because they're like, oof, you're May's younger sister. Ugh. And she's like, well, what does that mean? 
Yeah, we never really get to figure out what exactly that means, except for I guess she was a little bit of like a goody two-shoes. Um, and the weird relationship stuff that May ended up having with Teresa Billings. But the age discrepancy between those two uh, situations also perplexes me. I digress. We do eventually meet Teresa Billings during the opening ceremonies in the uh, Billings Chapel. So throwing it back to the original private series. They go to the Billings Chapel. They have the opening ceremonies. Teresa shows up late and acts like she does not care that everyone was like not waiting for her, but in the middle of something. And she just comes in like a storm and like throws her cloak to one of the maids and uh, basically just starts chatting up a storm, despite the fact that they're in the middle of something. Yeah. And she is very much of the belief that she is above the rules, which to a certain extent, all of these girls end up being a little bit above the rules, um, but we'll get there later. And the admonishments that are made during this opening thing, uh, there's a couple of them. It's basically like a lot of the rules are being laid out. What They had an added class that year, so there was one less hour of free time. Um, any girl caught with a boy outside of their normal visiting hours. So on the weekends, anyone from Billings is permitted to go over to Easton and see these men in a supervised manner and vice versa. But outside of that time, it's forbidden and you can get in big trouble if you do so. There is going to be a dance uh, like three weeks in. Girls are all very excited about that. And Eliza keeps thinking about this golden boy that she saw. uh, And she had never really felt any feelings for a boy before until she saw this man. And um, so all of this is happening on the first day. They've been told they've been told that if they're caught with a boy, things are going to be bad. And Teresa Billings, I think Courtney mentioned this, but Teresa Billings is uh, Catherine, Catherine or Caroline. My brain's going to mess up there. Catherine's best friend. And there's pretty much already a bit of a catfight over Catherine from the get go because Teresa does not like Eliza and vice versa. Yeah, they definitely don't get along. And extending the everyone is just someone from the original book series. Yes. Teresa gives me very much Ivy vibes because she also looks very witchy in her appearance. Like her visage is witchy, dark hair, dark features, very sharp. And then um, as it turns out, so the girls at the end of their first day, Eliza is like, I want to go like do something like this is a big day. Like this is the first day that we're all here. We should go do something. And so Teresa sneaks them into the back of Gwendolyn Hall through the secret tunnel. Secret tunnel. Uh, um, Yes. Yeah. But so Teresa sneaks them into the secret tunnel. And uh, it turns out that the golden boy who Eliza ends up flirting with at this secret underground party is actually by having socialist conversations about the meaning of uh, Upton Sinclair's The Jungle, which is like, you gotta love a nerdy girl. She's like, so you're, are you a socialist? And I'm like, okay. Yeah, Alice is different because she knows how to read. Exactly. Uh, and she loves a tragedy. So she meets this, this boy and turns out that he is actually engaged to Teresa. And so not unlike Reed and Ivy feuding over the same guy, who is he really supposed to be with, et cetera, et cetera. So like these are the connections that my mind is drawing. His name is Harrison Knox. That's a good name. Yeah, it's a good name. But 
not of like the same last name of other people. So uh, there is, so we're not going to get bogged down in the people. There's so many people you could get bogged down in, but Alice is there. uh, Teresa's there. Catherine's there. And Eliza's there. Um, I always, I thought Teresa gave me Noel vibes. I was internally debating about that, but I thought that the love triangle and the witchy looks was definitely more Ivy stereotypically, but attitude wise, more Noel. Yeah. I I just think in terms of the, like, she's used to running things and, I thought I thought it was very like Noel, Teresa, Ariana, Catherine, which in a in a very weird way. And then I don't know. I think Eliza's supposed to be kind of Reed-ish, but like I like Eliza more than I like Reed. Um, well, she does know how to read, and we know that Reed doesn't know how to read. <laughs> Reed Reed also is just heinous to everyone around her, and Eliza is very inclusive and kind and uh, goofy. I think. But anyway, so they're all meeting these boys, having a grand old time. Eliza's hopes are crushed when she learns about uh, Teresa's engagement. Teresa's got a big fat old engagement ring on. I have to like age of 16. Do some. Yeah, that's sort of what tripped me up was that I was like, okay, so I have questions about what the like, obviously, they're going to this elite school for young women in order to like be prepared for marriage. Especially, like, even the courses they were taking yeah. were about, like, homemaking and gardening and entertaining and things like that. But, like, how old – would they really come out of the high school getting engaged? Or was it then you get debuted into society and then you date for a little while and then, like, you're 20 and you get engaged? Like, I that's sort of what tripped me up. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, I'm looking it up right now. Also, like, so – I recently saw a girl on TikTok who there's, she was like, there was this myth of like, of pregnancies being so lethal, you know, a long time ago, but she said highborn pregnancies were lethal because women were getting married significantly younger and having children at like 16 and 17 rather than waiting until they were like 25 and their bodies had like matured. And also because when women were giving birth in like poor settings, they were using midwives and like doulas and traditional birthing techniques that had been used for hundreds of years but then when you were highborn you were giving birth to babies with a doctor and a lot of the male doctors at that time like completely reversed the the child rearing techniques and also there was that doctor who was like maybe you should wash your hands and everyone was like i don't need to wash my hands uh well so that point about like girls getting engaged really young like Teresa makes the point that she and Harrison were betrothed to each other as children and he only just made it like official and those sort of contractual engagements to unite two families definitely were a thing that happened when you were like eight and then you actually got engaged. Actual engagement probably didn't happen when you were 16. I just looked it up as well. At the end of the 18th century, so that would be the 1700s. The average age of first marriage was 20 years old for men and 26 years old for women. During the 19th century, the average age fell for women, but didn't drop any lower than 22. So, so we know what like average engaged. Yeah, I don't know. Like we know that yeah. average is not exactly like that's the point of the word average is that it's like not the maximum or the minimum or whatever. But look at us trying to explain anyway. math terms again. <laughs> Yeah, but it's also just, I just thought it was important because 16 does just still, see, oh, it also seems like, like a waste of a good bet. Like, it's like you're, if you go vintage shopping and like thrift shopping or something, 
and you find something that's really cheap in the like the front of the store and you're like wow this is a great deal and you just buy that and you don't try to haggle the price down or you don't try to see if there's a better option and then you leave where it's like okay if I was debuting this beautiful wealthy girl would I want her to be maybe if she's wild I don't know anyway Teresa's engaged uh, Teresa's engaged and women, women are commodities worth betting on um it, and that is what and Eliza is furious about that because she has never wanted to be a commodity before ever and now she does because Harrison is so gorgeous and hot and uh thoughtful and kind that she's upset um so they but have to sneak back. Then they back. try to sneak yeah. back. Yes. They have to sneak back onto campus and they get caught. And so their, their punishment is these girls have to um, garden and they can't go to the dance. And that's very Physical upsetting order. to all of them. Um, and so during their garden punishment, uh, A, before Eliza goes out gardening, she receives a package, which is a book, and she thinks that it's from her father. But in fact, it's from Harrison, who leaves like – a very romantic and forward note considering they've only just met and he is engaged uh, and it's a copy of a book that she had mentioned wanting to read and so they go out gardening and while gardening they discover this like chest and this is what really sets off the like the inciting action for the rest of the book yeah and for maybe the rest of the series and which is only a couple more books so like we'll see so they discover this chest and in the chest there is a locket and a map and the map is like very scavenger hunty and immediately Eliza's like well I found this locket so I should put it on and Teresa's like well Teresa reaches for it and then uh Catherine's like uh no what are you doing um and so they make plans to continue to break the rules and go that night and kind of discover what like go on a scavenger hunt basically and it is alice catherine eliza and Teresa, who are going to figure out what this scavenger hunt is also want to make a note that catherine and eliza immediately bond over the fact that they both love to read and catherine has an entire jane austen collection and they're very cute about it and so catherine's very intrigued by i think she gets the tale of two cities from harrison Mm -hmm. and so then Eliza has to lie and tell Catherine it was from her dad when it was actually from Harrison, blah, 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 whatever. Um, they go on the scavenger hunt. Uh, they have to, like, search. A, it's, like, it's a scavenger hunt, but it's also, like, like riddles and stuff. It's very – they don't do a good job of describing it. It was kind of confused me. We don't get all of the pieces of it either, but essentially they have to, like, find a loose brick – at the bottom of the schoolhouse, which they find, and then it tells them to go 150 paces in one direction and then however many paces in another direction. And Teresa's like, but all of our paces are different lengths. Like, how will we know how many paces is correct? And then they see someone in the window, and so then they run, and then Catherine's like, well, we just ran 150 paces, so we must be there now. And I'm like, if your walking paces are different paces than your running, is definitely a different length of pace. Like, that I know for sure. Somehow. Yeah. They still n- end up in the right place. Um, which is which the chapel. Is, and uh, Alice is very anti going into the chapel in the middle of the night. She is like, this is a house of God. We should not be entering here. This is not safe. This is disrespectful. And they're like, but we have to go. It would be like, if God didn't want us to go in here, then we wouldn't be here. You know what I mean? 
So they bribe Alice to go inside the chapel with them. They light a ton of candles or like one can. I don't know. They light candles because this makes sense. Unlike Thomas lighting candles everywhere. This actually makes sense yeah, because this is the, the ye olden days. The olden days. It's the 1950s. I was like thinking to myself, I was like, okay, so they're in a horse-drawn carriage. So when were cars again? <laughs> I think cars were like around that time, but you probably had to be super, super wealthy to have one. Which these girls Which are. The, I'm guessing these people are, but like would the school have had one? Likely not. Fair. Fair. But anyway. So... They are in the chapel. They find... I, I, I still don't really get how they get to the chaplain's room, but they get to the chaplain's room, which is what we learned was the admin room. Anyway, we're getting a little bit more layout of the Billings Chapel. We're understanding it a little better. And they get there. And once again, someone notices something on the ground and like hinges or whatever, and they find the hidden doorway that then Reed and Noel found in the, in the books and they find a key and they open it up and they go down the stairs and down the stairs is this empty white room. And in the center of the room, there's a chest and in the chest. There are spell books and Alice is freaking out. Alice wants to leave. Alice is like, I'm sinning. This is so bad. God hates me. So on and so forth. The other girls are like, whoa, cool. And Catherine out of nowhere, pulls out all this knowledge that she has about sorcery. Yes, which we are later revealed. So the girls, the four of them agree finally that they are going to try and start a, a coven, which Eliza, <laughs> Eliza's like, oh, we'll tell everyone that it's a literary society so that if anyone finds our like communications about it, they won't get mad at us for having like a literary society because that's like a, an academic thing, even though she had asked mm-hmm. during chapel the first day whether or not they would have free time for reading. And the headmistress was like, reading? What do you need to read for? <laughs> Women shouldn't read. Uh, but basically, Catherine and they, Eliza they go into town so that they can get some supplies in order to do some witchy well, spells. Well, and they've decided, well, so Catherine has told everyone that in order to have a coven you have to have 11 members uh which is funny because billings literary society has 11 members as well and they were very strict about that number which makes sense maybe ivy is a witch now we yeah now we know why it needed to be 11 members which we thought was just like oh ivy doesn't want to like just be the billings girls plus ivy so it could be either way or it could be both ways things could be two things Yes. And so while they're in town getting some supplies for their witchery do, uh, Catherine reveals to Eliza that Catherine knows all this information about being a witch because her mom really kind of believes in this stuff and has done some witchcraft. And so Catherine knows that it's true. And Eliza, not unlike Reed and not unlike Ariana, has a panic attack on the street. And faints. And then who runs up to try to help her? But Harrison Nux. And, and with, she's like, he also has um, her, Eliza's sister, May's future fiance's yes. brother, whose name is. Future brother-in-law. Thomas? If something Thackeray. They're both Some, Thackeray. William Thackeray? I think it's George Ma- Thackeray. George Thackeray? I'm thinking no, of William Makepeace Thackeray the, from George the is, book. Yes. George is the da- George is the brother. This guy is Joshua Thackeray? Something. Doesn't Jonathan matter. Jonathan Thackeray. Jonathan. We really never get anything more from him. 
Well, he has a little thing with Alice, maybe. But anyway, uh, does not matter. Yeah. They're there. And Eliza's like, oh, no, Catherine's going to find out that I have a crush on Harrison. I'm also feeling ill and I'm hearing voices. Oh, want to mention that she heard a voice in the secret passageway to Gwendolyn Hall that told her to turn back. And she has been hearing like random voices since then that are always like, turn back, turn back, turn back, which is scary. Yeah. But whatever. Um, and so there's a lot going on now and I'm having a hard time titling all together. Uh, they ditch their chaperone so that she doesn't see them talk about witchcraft. Uh, and then they set, a, they get together to like create a list of the people that they want to be included. Corny and I are not going to go over that list because it's 11 people and it's just so many people to, to And you already know the four people who make the most importance in the club is we've got, yeah. you know, we've got Catherine, the OG witch. We've got Eliza, the main character. We've got Teresa, the witchiest looking and Alice, the ingenue. Yeah, the Jesus one. And so they pick seven other girls. Sorry, I just had to do that math in my head, and that was difficult. Seven other girls to join the coven. And they make everyone wear white nightgowns to come meet them uh, in this basement situation. A lot less difficult to do in the 1915s, I assume, because, like, what else are you wearing? But also pretty uh, easy to spot outside. Sure. If you're wearing a white nightgown. And then they do the Billings initiation, pretty much. Yeah, which uh, has nothing to do with marbles of any color or anything like that. So um, not necessarily the voting system that Reed knows, but they all stand in a circle and have their candles. And then a magical wind comes. And I don't know, Claire, if you ever read the Katie Kazoo switcheroo books when you were growing up, but I did. And so they're like maybe 80 page children's books about a girl yeah. who is struck by a magical wind and she's able to switch like bodies with random other characters to, like learn about them. Um, and so whenever I would read the magical wind that would happen whenever the girls did witchcraft, I thought of that. That's all I had to say about that. But okay. so Alice Very immediately, fun. Alice is on board again with the witches because she's like, well, if God had wanted us to not be witches and he would have smote us. When we did the ceremony and he didn't, so we're Gucci. And so they do the ceremony, they feel the magical wind, and they start messing around with spells. And the first spell that they try is a spell to change the color of Alice's nightgown to pink, which she freaks out by because she says it feels hot. And then her nightgown turns pink and then they're all like, oh my God. And they all keep messing with spells. And then they discover a spell that makes them not make any sound. So they use that to kind of sneak around at night. And all of their spells seem to be working pretty well, which is kind of really fun. And they go after cute spells like uh, there are spells to um, clear your skin and there are spells to like curl your hair. And uh, there are spells to one that gets used that's very funny is there's a spell to like curse any man who gets too handsy with boils does come in handy later waist and he gets boils all over his face um and they use that which was very fun but uh although they are misbehaving they get a vote of confidence from the headmistress and are allowed to go to the dance even though they are still like forming a literal coven and 
you know. Anyway. Well, nobody is suspecting them except Eliza thinks that Helen, the young maid who's like 17 years old, is. is starting to suspect them. She thinks that she sees Helen staring at them. Um, and noticing something that's going on. And so Eliza tries to, like, make friendly with Helen a little bit, but the other girls, like Teresa and Catherine to some degree, are, like, sort of not just dismissing her, but being like, go away, Helen. And so Eliza's operating under, like, a different tactic by being like, maybe we'll, in like, we'll become friends, and then she won't rat on us, or we'll see at least how much she knows. Exactly. Um uh, and and Teresa's like, well, she's not going to rat on us because I pay her. And Eliza's like, what? Also, like, Teresa has a weird classist thing where she treats the staff not well. And it's very strange. It's strange, um, but also I don't understand how Eliza is confused by Teresa paying Helen, considering her name is on this school and Helen works for the school, which is Teresa's family. So at the very least, like, that connection. Sh- like, what are they teaching these girls at this school, if not logic? They are teaching them how to pour tea. Yes, from which the is one of the side. first examples where the girls get to use their magic in person, and they do it. They try to levitate their spoons, um, but then for fun, Eliza ends up levitating the uh, the professor's skirts, which I think is funny. Uh, but yeah, so they're having a grand old time messing around with their magic and stuff, uh, and they go to this dance, which is the and... dance where they use the "you get boils if you touch someone" spell, yes. and that happens to Cooper Coolidge, uh, Gage Coolidge's ancestor, who Eliza makes note of, is handsome, but he she doesn't love his alliterative name. And this is after a little bit of narration about Jeff Whitaker, and I'm like, if only you knew the Jeff Whitaker's like great great grandson would be Walt Whitaker the third or whatever. Yeah, yeah. A lot of the men at Easton have names that we are familiar with mm-hmm. um so i did some i did some highlighting of that as well but they at this dance um eliza does some dancing with jonathan thackeray who's like soon to be her brother-in-law she you know is kind of off the side she's she's really trying to avoid harrison because she does not want Teresa to know that she has a thing for harrison and so that's like minor lease I don't know it's a little unsuccessful um she does end up dancing with with Harrison one time and then Teresa's like what did you talk about my gift yeah Yeah. and then Teresa's like what did you talk about and she's like we talked about the weather like we didn't talk about anything which is such a lame excuse um and Catherine backs her up Catherine does back her up and at some point it's revealed that the reason why Teresa has such a problem with Eliza slash like Eliza's sister May is because Teresa had previously had a crush on the guy to whom May is currently engaged. And so when Teresa found out that May and this guy were engaged, she pretty much was just like, all right, Harrison, guess it's you and me then. And that's why they're engaged. Like, she doesn't love him. No. And and he doesn't love her. He kind of got caught up in the whirlwind of her because she's a very commanding presence. So he does he arranges with Helen to see well so Catherine and Eliza do some scrying to figure out where Harrison is and they find out that he's at the elm tree behind Crenshaw house and as they leave they go and they find a well Catherine goes and she goes out to the elm tree and she finds a note that's been tucked in there basically arranging a date the next night to see Eliza in the woods from Harrison and then like after that happens, um, Helen comes in and is like, uh, 
Miss Williams, I have a note. For, there's a note for you from Mr. Knox. He wanted me to send. And she'd already found out. Whatever. So Helen sees this. Helen's the go-between. Eliza sneaks out the next night to go see Harrison. They kiss. He says, I loved you at first sight. And she said, the same. And he said, okay, I will break things off with Teresa and we will be together forever. Um, And then the next night, they are going to have a meeting of the Billings Literary Society, a.k.a. the Coven. And that day, uh, Catherine had shown Teresa, uh, had shown, not Teresa, had shown um, Eliza like a box of fancy witch stuff that she actually had. Um, including a sulfur stick that was used to create fire, but she'd never been able to do it before, but she was going to try tonight. Um, and and this is after Eliza think, has woken up in a cold sweat with, from like a terrible nightmare that... Terrible nightmare. Teresa and Helen have tried to like throw Catherine into like some sort of pit or like a crevasse. And so to like Catherine doesn't... Or Eliza does not tell Catherine about this, but she's like very freaked out about it. But then they have a conversation where Catherine's like, you're my best friend. And Eliza's like, you're my best friend. Love that. Love that for them. <laughs> very great. Very cute. Um, Catherine knows that she's going to go try to meet Harrison that night. And the meeting is running a little late. And so Eliza kind of like tries to skimp out on it. It's like, ah, you know, I have to I have to go. I'm not feeling well, feeling faint. So she tries to leave. She gets up. She leaves. She goes to see Harrison. She's like, I can't do this anymore. Like, I can't do this again. It's it's not safe. It's pouring rain. There's a big thunderstorm. They're outside. They're getting soaking wet. It's passionate. She's like, I have to go. She hears people in the woods yelling. She turns around. She goes back. And it's Teresa and Catherine having a drop it down, scream out, drag out fight about Catherine helping Eliza covertly meet Harrison is what Teresa thinks is happening. Which is exactly then, what did happen. Yes, because Catherine yes. did help Eliza pretend to be fainting. And so then Catherine was like, I'll walk you back to the Crenshaw house. But then just like waited a little bit so that Eliza could meet up with her. So like Teresa's absolutely right. Like her best friend is helping this other girl in their coven sneak behind her back with her fiance, which is pretty fucked. It is. It is pretty fucked. Like it's bad. It's not good. Yeah. But... They're having a knockdown, scream out, drag out fight. Big fight, fight, fight. And in the process, you know, it's pouring rain. It has been pouring rain. The weather's awful. And a tree falls on Catherine and knocks her into a ravine and kills her. And when I heard this, I was like, oh, my God. And this was like probably like uh, two thirds of the way through the book. So like not the end. There was a book left. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, okay, where does this go? Uh, And so the girls are like, oh my God, Miss Keisha. (laughs) Miss Keisha, oh my God, she fucking dead. Oh my God, she fucking dead. She fucking dead. And then little Amberly, Alice comes over and is like, oh my God, what happened? And then Teresa and Eliza lock eyes and they're like, we know what we need to do. And they enlist. They seen a spell. Yeah, they had seen a spell in the spell book that was the life from death spell. So they're like, we believe we can bring Catherine back to life. And Alice is like, uh, I don't think that's right. We shouldn't do that. Super bad juju vibes. And this entire time, Catherine is like, 
I know lying there that no like in throughout the book throughout the book Catherine has been like yeah. I know that magic is powerful but you should not cross there's like a line you shouldn't cross there is a line yeah and the line is like everything that you do will have a reaction and like an opposite reaction and like you shouldn't cross the line of nature essentially but Teresa's justification is like it's unnatural for a 16 year old girl to be killed this way and just like be taken from us like that's what's not natural and so then the three girls carry Catherine's dead body after Alice like closes her eyelids which is very sad Alice is to me freaking out this whole time Alice is freaking out they take the girl back into the like underground chapel and lay her there and like put a cloth over her and they're like okay we know that we have like 48 hours to do this we need to like put her, like we need to get all these ingredients and stuff and then they realize that they need to have an 11th member of the coven in order for the spell to work like Catherine had been the 11th member so they need to find another yeah. girl to do the spell and so they stumble upon well eliza has an idea and she goes and she confronts helen and helen admits that she knew all along that these girls were into witchcraft and she tells them why so Oh, she tells them, sure, I can explain it. So she tells them that she knows about witchcraft because uh, before any of them were at the school, Helen had been in the coven that was there beforehand, which was started by, so there was a girl named Caroline Warwick who had carved her initials into uh, Eliza's room and yet Eliza later in the book is like, I wonder what room she lived in. It's like, obviously yours. Her initials are carved in your dorm room, but whatever. Uh, You're not smart. And so Helen had said, like, Caroline's older sister was a senior when I was, like, 13. And she – these two sisters were always feuding. And so when the older sister found these spell books, she wanted to create a coven, but she didn't want to make her younger sister a member because she wanted to piss off her younger sister. And so she invited me to be a member of the coven because, like, what better way to piss off your tag-along younger sister than to invite the maid, the 13-year-old maid, to be a part of it. And so Helen had been in this coven. They practiced and practiced all these spells. And Caroline was so frustrated at having never been a part of it that she stole some of the spell books and started practicing them herself. But it was too dangerous. And like she didn't understand what was happening. And so it drove her crazy to the point where she goes up on the roof of the Easton Chapel. Why she was on Easton's campus, you couldn't tell me. They never explain it. And she jumps off. The roof. And all the other girls had also been up on the roof to try and get her to come down. Very confusing. My bet is that the Easton Chapel is larger. More roof space. Because, well, I just think, like, if you're going to try to fly, you want to be on a higher surface. Yes. But it was, like, a misguided. It wasn't like she wanted to fly like she believed she could. Like, it was so misguided because she had been driven crazy by abusive magic. And so... Everyone had thought that Caroline had run away with an ex-Duke from Europe and that her parents were like, her parents never talked about her anymore because they, she had been like disowned and disgraced. But in reality, they buried her out on like a, the farthest Eastern tree on their property. And like their her mother would go every morning to like weep over her because she was so sad that her daughter killed herself over witchcraft. Um, so not exactly a secret. And so Helen was like, we agreed that we would never do witchcraft again and we tried to burn these books they wouldn't burn so we agreed to bury them but the older sister left the clues because she thought that some future generation would should be able to pursue this if they like understood it 
And it was very like self-aggrandizing. And it gave me sort of Cheyenne vibes because the locket was the older sisters, which she got only just to be like, I'm the head of the coven, which was sort of like Cheyenne's much larger B necklace for being the president of Billings House. I digress. But so Helen was like, I will help you do this spell on two conditions. First condition, I get to read through the entire spell. I get like one night to read through it so that I can make sure that we're it's actually going to work. Second condition, as soon as we bring Caroline back to life, no more witches, okay? No more witchcraft. We're done with this. We're burning the books. We're burying them. I don't care. We're done with it. The girls agree. And Teresa is a little iffy on it because she's like, why does the maid get to be in charge? And Eliza's like, can you please shut the fuck up? We're trying to bring Caroline or Catherine back to life. And uh, they initiate Helen. It turns out her uh, the secret you can't hear me silence spell never worked on her because she made herself immune mm-hmm. to the effects of witchcraft. Good for her. Um, I don't know if that's like a permanent effect of everyone who had been in the coven, if they all then are immune to witchcraft after the fact. You know what I mean? Never explained. But uh, they agreed to do it. And so after she's initiated the next day, so this is now the last day of the 48-hour period in which they can bring Catherine back to life. They're all standing in the circle and they start doing the spell. And it seems to work. Catherine is a little, yeah, Catherine's a little out of it when they finish it. But she's like, where's Eliza? Where's Eliza? Like, I need to be near Eliza because she's like, obviously, it's sort of like if you come out of a coma, I think, probably, right? I I guess. I don't, I don't really know. (laughs) So she keeps saying like, oh, I need to be with Eliza. And, and, and Alice and Helen are like, something's wrong here. Something's not good. And Eliza's like, no, 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 no. She just has to get used to it. She just has to come out of the fog. Like, she's been dead for two days. Like, she's going to be fine. Let's take her back to, to the to the um, dorm. So they do. And they take her back to the dorm. And they go to their room. And they, like, kind of have a normal-ish night, I guess. And then the next day... Um, Eliza goes into their room and finds Catherine shredding her copy of Tale of Two Cities that was given to her by Harrison to pieces and staring into nowhere and just ripping the book to shreds. Which is where this part of the book starts getting like, it was already a little spooky when we were in the basement as Catherine was brought back to life because the narration kept describing Catherine's movements as being jerky like a marionette. And I was like, nope, nope, no secret spooky puppets, please, for me. No, thank you. Yeah. So she has like weird jerky Five Nights at Freddy movements. She's ripping this book to pieces. Eliza tries to take the book back and... Catherine's like, you did this to me. You did this to me. And then she starts trying to murder Eliza. She starts trying to choke out Eliza. And Eliza realizes at that moment that that's not Catherine. They brought a demon back in Catherine's body. Yeah. And so then Helen and Teresa come into their room. I don't know why they were coming, probably just to check on Catherine or something. And so they come into the room and Helen starts chanting at the demon and gets Teresa to be part of it. And so then they all start chanting. And finally, the demon releases its grip on Eliza's neck. Eliza starts chanting at the demon. And eventually, Catherine falls over and she's re-dead again. Not before the demon says this, which I highlighted because I wanted to make note of it. 
The demon says, curses on you, all of you, curses on your families and the fruit you may bear, curses on you for all eternity. Which, assuming that these women stayed at Billings and married boys from Easton and had kids who then would go to Easton and their kids went to Easton and their kids went to Easton, that curse may have worked. Uh, especially considering Noelle is half-sisters, as we know, with Reed, who is definitely capital C cursed. Oh, yeah. But when you want to talk about curses, like Ivy could be cursed. All these girls are cursed. Like, everybody's cursed. If you go to Easton, you're cursed. Yeah. So, but so basically. Uh, Eliza, before getting almost KO'd by Demon Catherine had snuck onto Easton's campus early, early that morning, like 4.30 in the morning, yes. to basically like profess her love to Harrison and be like, we should be together. And he's like, yeah, that's great. I'll break up with Teresa. Catherine, RIP again. So in the funeral proceedings, he's like, I haven't broken up with Teresa yet for obvious reasons. Like, it doesn't seem like he's trying to pull a fast one over on Eliza, in my opinion. No. But she's like- Like pulling a Thomas? Yeah, she's like, honestly, forget about it. I can't be with you. This is like too much for me. Uh, understandable. Slash also, yeah. it seems like she probably is like, this would be a cursed union and I'm not looking to have a cursed union. So she's like, just go yeah. be with Teresa. Which again, is sort of like after Ivy gets shot and Reed yes. is like, go be with Ivy, Josh. So again, this is a whole Ivy, Reed, Josh, Teresa, Eliza, Harrison situation. And, um, and basically... Catherine's parents come and take Catherine's body and her belongings away, not before Eliza, like, takes, like, one of her books and writes down some stuff about it. But I thought what was disappointing for me is I was hoping that Eliza and or Teresa or both of them would get to, like, have a conversation with Catherine's mom, who is a witch, about what happened, and we don't get that. Well, so so after the funeral, uh, Eliza keeps Catherine's box of box of witchy things. And so they also, Helen and uh, Eliza and Teresa all buried the books, the spell books. And then uh, all of Catherine's stuff gets taken, all the fleur-de-lis stuff, everything. And then when that happens, Eliza takes a notebook that her mom had given her at the beginning of the semester. And then she writes out the like guidebook to the Billings Literary Society. Um, well, but that is then seen. She like writes a diary about her experience, but that's not the and book. That's not the book that Reed dead. writes. No, but they explain that they they make it seem like it's the same thing. It's very weird, but it's not. And that's what's so confused. Like this book was so confusing to me in the end because I'm like the how you ended this is not then setting it up for Reed to find but this book, start the BLS, and then like everything else. Like that does that doesn't no, make I any think- sense. No, no, no. Maybe it's a different book and maybe we're going to see it in the next book. You know, maybe Reed's going to find it in that basement room. But when did she have time to write a third book? I think it's the second book. I just am very confused as to like, uh, this this whole thing takes place over a couple of weeks. Yeah. Like, I don't know where she has any of the time. I don't know how Reed is going. Like, how did... How did the women who are now in the Billings Literary Society witchcraft branch, so like Noelle's grandmother, et cetera, how did they find all of the stuff and then just, I guess, disregard whatever, like, Eliza writes that is like, this is bad, don't do this. And then nothing Maybe. bad happens. 
I don't. Maybe we find out. I hope we find out because if we don't find out, I'm going to be very frustrated because as it stands right now, I'm confused and I'm frustrated. Well, yeah, that's the end of the book. Yeah. R.I.P. Catherine. Um, because literally Eliza learn. writes her whole diary about the Billings Literary Society and she's like, Catherine's my best friend. Here's how we do intake and everything like that. And I'm like, you, but she died. No, because then she writes another one about how Catherine died. Yeah, it's a separate book, but like who has all the time for all these books? <laughs> I guess if your best friend dies and you're stuck in a boarding school that won't let you read. Yeah. Fun. If you don't have, an, you have nothing. There's no TV or TikTok to distract you and you have no boyfriend. Yeah. Well, you have no boyfriend. Uh, so yeah. I. Anyway, that's the end of Book of Spells. It was fun. I enjoyed it. It's definitely different. So there has to be a third book because Eliza didn't mention anything about witchcraft in the first book, which is what Reed is reading. There's two books. There's three books. Okay. But one was not written by Eliza. The Book of Spells they find. Yes. So the Book of Spells they find. There is a witchcraft handling book that Eliza does write. First writes, yes. But that's not what Reed reads. But it's not what Reed reads because it does what Reed reads does not mention witchcraft at all. Well, maybe the first one was like the witchcraft guide, but it was more like written from like a ritual standpoint without actually saying witchcraft at all. Maybe. Which I think is what Billings Literary Society would be. Because it was just like, here's how we do our rituals. And here's how we do. So it like, looked like a secret society, but maybe didn't have any like spell casting in it. I guess. I don't know. I'm still, I'm really hung up on like what book Reed is reading. I think she had the one book that was like, here's the formation of the secret society that we do not describe as a coven. Um, and then there's a second book that I'm hoping she finds in the next book. I started the next book um, and it's definitely interesting, but... We, I haven't gotten to any of the points yet where uh, any witchcraft is done. So we'll see if any does get done. But, you know, it was fun. It was enjoyable. I had a pleasant time reading this. I'm glad you did. Anyway, uh, do you want to do your favorite fashion moment from this book? Because there are actually the most fashion moments we've had out of uh, a private book thus far, I would say. Yeah, there were tons of fashion moments. I think that Teresa had a lot of my faves, but my number one that I pulled out was the first outfit that we get to see Teresa in. Like, as we mentioned, Mm -hmm. Teresa is very witchy, but this outfit was distinctly not witchy. And I thought that it was an interesting contrast slash like if I were a 1915 girl, I would probably wear this. So we see Teresa as a slim, raven-haired girl who slipped in late, shedding her seersucker cape and tossing it carelessly to Mrs. Hodge, who's one of the maids. Underneath the cape, the girl wore a matching seersucker dress with a square collar and a slim cut skirt. A set of long necklaces dangled over her bosom, the kind a married sophisticate in her 20s might wear. And I was like, okay. See, that one was one of my choices as well. Um, I also thought about doing Teresa's dress for the dance, which reminded me of something that like Mary Crawley from Downton Abbey would wear. But I ended up going with Clarissa's Cinderella moment. So Clarissa is one of the nerdiest members of the Billings Literary Society. And her dress for the ball was was looked like something out of a prairie girl's nightmare. It was green and purple gingham with frayed lace trim and a high neckline. Her braids had been pinned back to the back of her head in a coil, making her appear almost like a scary old maid out of a children's book. And they were like, absolutely not are you wearing that, Clarissa. So they perform a magical, like, transformation of her dress a la Cinderella with the birds and the mice and everything so soon all the girls were comparing ideas holding out their palms and making adjustments 
with a snap, the fabric around Clarissa's neck tore free and fell to the ground, leaving her collarbone exposed. Clarissa's hands flew to her neck. The lace trim, uh, scraps of fabric fell to the floor. The lace trim shot right into the fireplace. A set of ribbons lifted off Alice's dressing table and flew over to adorn Clarissa's bodice. And another set wove through her hair. When Eliza and her friends finally stepped back, Clarissa looked as if she'd stepped out of a magazine. Her hair was done up in a curly chic updo with blonde tendrils around her face. Her skirt was slim around her hips with a slight flare at the ankle, and the rose color was perfectly complemented by the dark purple velvet ribbon trim. And I just thought that was so cute and fun. Like, we love a girls getting ready together moment, and Mm -hmm. this one with the magic was even more fun. Yeah, you got the makeover montage, but also magic. But do you want me to talk about my State of the Union for the week? Yeah, Courtney, tell me a little bit about what you have as your in and your out. So my in for this week, it was my birthday last week. Amazing, Woo-hoo! amazing. Applause, applause. We love that for me. Um, in terms of gifts, we love. But specifically, one of the gifts that I got, which is not, I'm not playing favorites or anything like that, but I did get a vacuum, which I didn't have previously. I had been stealing my parents' vacuum and like going over to their place and carrying it next door to my place. Um, and now I have a vacuum of my own. I love vacuuming, man. It is great. I always say that one of my tenets of a good relationship is like you should have an opposite least favorite chore of yes. your partner. Fully agree. Um, like I hate hand washing dishes. Oh, same. So, That's mine. Yeah, it's gross. I, I oh, hate it. Wet food is. Exactly. Um, mm. And so I avoid doing it at most costs and most of my dishes go in the dishwasher. But I'm totally down to vacuum. And now that I have a vacuum of my own and it's nice, love that. So in vacuuming. I love that. Um, yeah, my out is rebound colds. After I oh. got back from visiting Claire in Charleston, I got my shit rack to buy another cold. Um, I'm finally almost entirely better. I spent my entire birthday feeling unwell and just like laying around and today i'm finally like good enough to go you outside. sound good you sound much better yeah for sure i called courtney on you her just got to give your body rest yeah you have to your body's gonna tell you when you need to stop doing things um i called courtney on her birthday to serenade her which was very fun and she did sound a little bit like death but that was okay um but at least i wasn't an evil demon come back from actual death in order to strangle not. you Thank God. Um, But yeah. So my State of the Union for the week, my in is going to be... Eating at home. Not eating takeout. And not eating at restaurants. So um, we were gone for a while. We got home. And basically, like, we were gone for long enough that, like, all the food in our fridge was, like, not edible. And it kind of sucked because Monday... We were really scrounging because Monday was so snowy. Uh, but then when things started to open back up, David and I did some big grocery runs and we were able to like get a lot of things checked off our list and like make some really good meals. And I, on Wednesday night, I made this caramelized onion and goat cheese pasta, baked pasta, and it was insanely good. And then like I've just had some really good meals that we've been making. Today I'm making chicken stock so I can make pastini that like, Italian chicken noodle soup that's like got tiny noodles in it um it's it's gonna be delicious I'm so excited so eating meals at home but also we're saving money so that's my in awesome and, then and I love out, you for making your own chicken stock that's bold well we ba- we made a ch- David roasted a chicken on Tuesday and then I like kept the chicken carcass and I'm gonna make chicken stock out of it so I'm excited nice. yeah 
I feel like it smells really good in here. Um, so that's great. But my out would have to be um, getting injured. And it's not about me. Courtney and I were together last weekend. Uh, she was there when this happened. My husband, David, uh, went a little bit too hard and cracked possibly two ribs. Oh. Yeah. Uh, and he was in a lot of pain and it was really unfortunate. And we were able to go to the orthopedist on Wednesday. And it was funny because like, you know, I had been kind of telling David to slow down, but you know, it's really hard to listen to your wife, I guess. I wouldn't know. Uh, but the orthopedist kept, David was like, yeah, you know, I think it's just from overuse. And every time he would say that, the orthopedist would be like, abuse? Would correct him. Like, oh, you're abusing your body? And I was like, oh my God, that's so mean. But basically, David hurt himself. He's not feeling great still. I mean, he's feeling better, but still not great. And basically, the only thing you could do for broken ribs is like rest for eight to 10 weeks. So he's not getting to go to the regattas he wanted to go to in the spring. Um, it's a bummer. I feel really bad for him, but like, so yeah, that getting injured is the out. Um, and it just sucks, but you know, we'll get through it. He's doing a great job. So I'm not worried. Um, but yeah, maybe I'll give weekly updates on how David's doing. So you guys can wait for next week's episode when we talk about the next book, which I think is called Oblivion. Am I wrong? Ominous. Ominous. I knew there was an O. Um, so <laughs> Yeah, we've been talking about reading Ominous for like the past three books, but then we've just had so many great prequels that we've needed to read. Right, right. If we had skipped the prequels, which were the last two. No, we did. We did vanish last episode. So um, Ominous. Ominous is next. Super excited about that. Um, in the meantime, you guys can find us on our socials. Uh, you can watch the funniest TikTok Courtney and I have literally ever made. It was by my brother's girlfriend, Hayden. Uh, she had us do this TikTok, and it's literally the funniest thing I've ever done. I watch it almost every day. Um, and you can find that TikTok on the Witty Committee on TikTok. You can find us on Instagram at Witty Committee Pod, on Twitter at Witty Pod. Our website is thewittycommittee.com. Or you can shoot us an email at wittycommittee at gmail.com, um, answering any of the questions that you may you know, find on that TikTok, which is, again, the funniest thing that I've ever taken part in. Um, Courtney can agree. We were, I was laughing to the part where, point where like my chest hurt the next day because I had banged my chest so much when I was laughing. Um, so it was, it was great. But Courtney, do you want to sign us off? Yeah. So join us next week as we continue to judge the moon girl right back one book at a time. All right. Bye guys. Bye.